Good morning. Uh, I would like to invite you all to the 2023 uh, Bay State Council of the Blind uh, Spring Convention and Conference. Um, we have a jam-packed agenda uh, today. Uh, hopefully you all received um, a copy of the agenda yesterday in your inboxes. Um, we have several sessions during the morning, which will also include the beginning of a business session, uh, including uh, discussing resolutions, um, elections, and uh, then in the afternoon, more sessions going to about 4.15 or 4.30. And then after that, of course, one of our biggest annual highlights, our 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, uh, auction. Um, I just want to take a few minutes to sort of talk a little bit about recent developments with Bay State. Um, and um, then our first speaker will be the uh, acting commissioner uh, of the MCB, the Mass Commission for the Blind, uh, John Oliveira. Um, I'd like to say that the state of the BSCB is healthy. Um, since last year, I think um, major strides have been taken to um, strengthen our committees. I think they're um, they're very active, um, among other things. Um, our membership committee has worked to um, get uh, get all of our folks registered with ACB, and our official membership stands at two hundred and one. I think which is up about 10% over last year. So that is a, uh, that's a good trend. We're gonna keep trying to grow the membership in, including trying to make it more diverse. That is a major challenge going forward. Our communications committee used to be called publications. It's now called the communications committee remains active in regularly uh, you know, putting out new material, our council connection on a monthly basis. Bayline's Express on a monthly basis, something we started a couple of years ago, uh, a third Thursday Zoomcast, those have been going strong also. So, you know, regular new content, which is not an easy thing to produce, but we've um, managed to do it. We are also going to embark on revamping our website. Uh, it's looking a little bit freaky, uh, particularly from a visual point of view. So we've brought somebody on to uh, to rework the website. We hope to get that looking better um, shortly. The Advocacy Committee, thanks to the co-chairs, uh, Nona Haroyan and Jerry Barrier, have been very active in promoting uh, different advocacy issues, policy issues. Uh, I won't steal their thunder to talk about the things that they're doing because that will be one of our morning uh, sessions. Uh, our social committee has also been active. One of the events that they have uh, organized will be our uh, lunch event tomorrow in Watertown at the Not Your Average Joe's. Um, I wanna take this moment though to thank one person in particular, and that is Rosemary Miller who has been uh, the chair of the social committee for a number of years now. And if my uh, count is correct, has also been a board member for somewhere on the neighborhood of seven years, maybe it's six, you lose count when it's that many years. 
rows will be um, terming off because our limit is uh, three terms times two years. Uh, but want to thank Rose so much for all her contributions. And she's not going anywhere. We know that. So this is not a goodbye in, in any way at all. And Elizabeth Ann Johnson will be taking over as the chair of that committee. So um, congratulations to Elizabeth Ann, who will do, uh, I know will do a great job. Uh, and we have a new transportation committee that, at least for the moment, I am the chair of that. And we've started digging into um, policies related to the regional transit authorities. You know, for a long time, we've worked on transportation, but it was very, I'll call it, rather Boston or, you know, MBTA ride centric. And our approach now is certainly not to de-emphasize the Boston area, uh, but to really make transportation more statewide in our approach. And there too, I won't steal uh, any thunder. We're going to have a resolution on that topic uh, that we will uh, discuss a little bit later. And that will also be um, talked about a little bit during that session with the advocacy committee coming shortly. Uh, these last couple of months or so, I don't need to tell you, have been really rather momentous uh, with some turbulence. As we all know, the, um, the past commissioner of the MCB um, resigned uh, under duress. And I wanna say a couple of things about that. The first thing is, I don't think we should be boastful, but I think uh, we can be factual in saying that uh, in the efforts that, you know, that led to uh, the former commissioner's resignation, we, the Bay State Council of the Blind, was the only, the only organization within the blindness community, be it representatives of blind people or service providers, we were the only ones to take a public stand on that issue. And I think um, we can be proud of the actions of the board, the advocacy committee, and those who went to the demonstration at the state house. Um, we can be proud that we took a stand. And I think it's fair to say that that transformed what could have simply be seen as a labor management dispute into something larger than that. And perhaps our participation or our advocacy or our speaking out uh, publicly uh, and having that show up in the Boston Globe front page on Sunday um, helped tip the scales. That said, that's in the, um, you know, that's in the rear mirror now, uh, the rear view mirror. And looking forward, we've got a major challenge, and that is to work with the new, the, the acting commissioner, uh, John Oliveira, who will be speaking shortly, um, to, you know, to work together collaboratively uh, to do all the things that we know we want to do to help improve the services of the MCB. Uh, to our members and to uh, others in the blindness community. Uh, we want to work with, with, with John to increase transparency. That was an issue um, previously uh, in terms of what's going on with the budget, uh, performance, service delivery. 
And that will be an important uh, area to talk about, uh, to dialogue on moving forward. And for that, we will need uh, your participation as members, as well as uh, active participation from the board and the various committees, particularly the, the advocacy committee. Um, I think we can be confident though, and this is fortunate, and saying that, you know, John Oliveira, we know him well. We've, we've all, many of us have known him for years. And uh, we know he has, you know, um, a great track record of working with us um, for the interests of the blindness community. So I know I and, and others look forward to dialoguing with John, um, either as members or participants also in the um, Statutory Advisory Board, the SAB and the Rehabilitation, Rehabilitation Council uh, to work together to, um, to make uh, MCB everything that MCB uh, can and, uh, and should be. And I, it's no secret on my part, and I know many other members share this point of view, we really hope that Acting Commissioner John Oliveira, shortly that word acting goes away because I think he could be a great person to work with not just for the coming months, but uh, for the coming years. So those are the things that I want to say. Um, perhaps, um, I don't know, is, uh, I don't, uh, John is scheduled to speak at 10. It's about five minutes early, uh, but I don't mind handing the uh, floor over to John if he's here yet. Uh, Rick, is John Oliveira here yet? Hold on, I'm on the uh, the pant the attendee side. I do not see John yet, David. Okay, he should be a panelist. Maybe we can re maybe you could I don't resend him the link. But you yeah. have his email. Well, let me let me see if he's on the attendee side. So hold on. Okay. I haven't seen him yet, and you do have one raised hand, David. Uh, okay. Can uh, we got a couple of minutes to, shall we take a raised hand for the, for the let, let me also first say too, in terms of a uh, little bit of the housekeeping, we are doing a Zoom webinar today. Our host is uh, Rick Morin, who we all know, and co-hosting is Jeanette Kutash, who's going to, uh, to help um, uh, Rick. Uh, maybe Rick, maybe if you got a moment, uh, or Jeanette, you could sort of say a little bit of the, the protocol of how participation is going to work today within the webinar format. Why don't you go so ahead? Go ahead, Jeanette. Thanks. You will be uh, allowed to talk once we acknowledge you as your raised hand. And at that point, um, once we give you that prompt, you can unmute your microphone if you're on the computer with Alt A. Um, if you're on an iPad or an iPhone, it's going to be in the uh, lower left-hand corner on your iPhone, and on the iPad, it's probably somewhere in the middle. And then once you've asked your question, then you will mute yourself again, and if you don't mute yourself, we will mute you. Raising hands, you will do Alt-Y on your computer. And on your iPhone, it, it is either under the more or under the um, reactions thing, depending on your version of your iOS or Android product. 
unfortunately, I do not know at the moment about Max. Um, and for that, I apologize. Area code 978, is that John by any chance? No, that's not John. Okay. I believe that's... Uh, Okay. Uh, yes, that's the... I'm, I'm Gerard Wishray from Haverhill. I just wanted to know, just a curiosity, John Alavera, is he blind or visually impaired himself? Uh, yes, John is. And John is, uh, you know, has, uh, many of us know him. He's been an active member of uh, Vibug, uh, head of the um, um, ABC, which is, what is it, Association of Blind Citizens. Uh, of the Commonwealth. So, uh, yes, John, uh, John is. <laughs> and Jared, happy to see that you're there because I, I, uh, you asked me a couple of questions about phone numbers and stuff. So glad you, glad you made it. Okay. That's it for raised hands, David. Okay. I'm just going to see if I've got any emails or anything from John. I sent John a panelist invite this morning from Tech Two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, maybe what we could do, maybe we can flip the order just a little bit. Does this, uh, and we could maybe start with, uh, you know, our introductions where people could introduce themselves. Would that be okay, Rick? Or yeah. that sort of disrupt things? No, that's fine. Okay. So maybe uh, can you unmute everybody? Is that possible? Sure. Yeah, if you can unmute everyone temporarily. So again, we won't have to raise hands or anything. Let me know when that's all done. Almost there. Okay. Oh, uh, let's see here. Okay. Every, everybody has been allowed to talk. Okay. Uh, so nobody, people are, are they're all unmuted. Is that, that's right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're all able to unmute themselves. Oh, they all are, are able to. Well, if everybody can unmute themselves, uh, let's do the following. Um, so perhaps folks could introduce themselves. We'll take uh, last names. I'll say A through G. If you could just, you know, say your name and your town, and um, we'll go like that. So A through G, last names, please. Tim um, Tim Cummings from Seattle, Washington. Jerry Yay. Terry. Jerry Barrier from Malden, Massachusetts. Chris Linda Fowler. Linda. Go ahead. Linda Faust from Sudbury, Massachusetts. And Kathy, Kathy is here too, Chris and Kathy from Quincy. Cheryl Cummings from Seattle, Mass uh, Seattle Washington. <laughs> Seattle, Massachusetts. <laughs> Love it. Oh, man, man, we, we, we understand. We understand where your heart's still It's early us. there. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Dresser, Reading, Massachusetts. Jim Watson. Go ahead. All right. We got Jim. Christine Diaz, Nord, Massachusetts. 
Brian Charlson, Watertown, Massachusetts. Deanna and that, from Cambridge. And I guess that leaves me. This is Maria Giorgakaraku. I am from Natick, Massachusetts, but originally I am from Greece and that's where I am now. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Nice. <laughs> okay. Casey Brazil uh, for Sydney Brazil Davis from Boston. Trisha Valley from now from Cambridge, Smith. Jeannie uh, Fairley from Newton, Massachusetts. Sorry, Jeannie. Any other A through G's? Yes. Ginger Dedkevitz from Hadley. Uh, if you have not spoken yet A through G, uh, you can still speak. We will, though, now go... H through N, N as in Nancy. Jeanette Kutash. Braintree. Oh, sorry. Jeanette Kutash, Quincy, Massachusetts. Alice Lanou, Braintree. Ross Nadler, Arlington. Mary Haroyan, Worcester. And welcome to our members from such a far distance. <laughs> Nina Kagan from West Roxbury. David Morrison, Watertown. David Kingsbury from Stoughton in France, because I want to be far away too. So, <laughs> actually, Massachusetts. Pamela Locke, Hopkinton. Nona Heroyan, Worcester. Jennifer Harnish from Natick, and I'll be happy to join you in Greece, my fellow Natick residents. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Any any others? A through N. Yeah, hi everybody. That's Rick Morin from Burlington, Massachusetts. Hi, David. This is Jane Perry. I had a little problem with my iPhone, so I don't know if you had heard me or not. Uh, we hear you now, but we you have you have violated the rules because you were P instead of N. I'm sorry. So I got. I. I I'm sorry, right, Jane. It's okay. <laughs> don't don't. I have don't problems getting in. I apologize. Goodbye. Don't don't take me seriously, please. I know. I know. I should know okay. you by now. Okay. Thanks, Jeanette. Okay. You know, service is bad on the Cape. What can you say? I know. <laughs> That's the excuse. Okay. Any other A through Zs? A through Ns. Okay. Uh, let me see what uh, O through S. O through S. Oh, David, you skipped M. No, I did not skip M. M comes before N. I've known oh, that for a well, long I time. I wasn't paying attention to my alphabet. <laughs> okay. And who is that M? Who is that M? From Fitchburg. <laughs> okay. Sorry. No problem. That's all right. We'll teach the alphabet tomorrow. <laughs> Sharon, go ahead. Sharon Strakowski, Worcester. Dennis, Myra, Ross, Maria. Hold oh on, guys. Goodness. Dennis. Marie, Maria Rutgers from Watertown. Dennis, go ahead. Dennis Poselli, Fall River. Myra Ross from Amherst. John Smith from Quincy. Uh, who else spoke besides John? Ixa. 
And Rodriguez? where are you from? I'm from Woburn, Massachusetts. Okay. Monica Swopa from Houston, Texas. Okay. Wow. Okay. And the rest of the alphabet or anybody who did not get themselves in. Sue Crawford, Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh, no. Yeah. Cindy Wentz, Watertown. Timothy Vernon from Mansfield. <laughs> and David John is here. I heard that. Do we have any other um, any other A through Zs? Barbara Black, <laughs> that was Barbara Black for anyone who did not hear. Thanks. And do we have anybody else? Kim Charlson from Watertown, Massachusetts. Right. If that is everybody. Uh, uh, Rick, do you need to sort of like remute everybody? Or yeah, how do you want to do we're going to take care of that, but you can keep going, David. Okay, I've heard that John has arrived, John Oliveira. Uh, John, uh, like to welcome you to the um, our uh, convention, and you know, thank thank you for agreeing to speak uh, today. Uh, one thing I said a little earlier before you got on, and I'm going to say it again, is, well, first off, you know, congratulations for becoming the acting commissioner. And I think I speak for a lot of people in BSCB uh, in saying that we really hope that this word acting goes away soon, because uh, I think we are confident that you would be a great partner to work with. You know, that's based on past history of, of all that many of us have done with you. And um, we will, uh, a little bit later today, uh, you may have seen it, you know, I sent the email out, uh, we'll be considering a resolution, well, a couple related to the MCB, one related to the, uh, the budget, because it's that time of year, but then also one talking about, you know, priority areas where, you know, we want to engage uh, with you and others at MCB uh, in dialogue. Uh, so John, uh, welcome. And um, the floor is all yours. Good morning, David. And uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, good to be with you today. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for, for the support uh, that I've seen some of you uh, send letters and all that. But uh, looking forward to working with all of you. And uh, uh, we'll uh, We'll uh, do the best we can. So uh, let me start briefly here, just uh, talking about the budget since uh, you mentioned that. Um, so we're we're right in the middle of all the the activity. Uh, the governor's um, budget for MCB is twenty seven point one million dollars, and then uh, after that, we've had some amendments. Uh, moved forward and are going through the process, whether they um, to be approved and, and all that process that it goes through as far as uh, uh, getting things through the legislature. 
Um, so all those together equal, uh, equal another $2.2 million. Um, in that there's 500,000 for MCB, 300,000, uh, 500,000 for CCB, 300,000 for uh, MAVI and, and additional funds. Um, so we'll, uh, we'll watch the process and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how things go and, uh, hopefully it all works out. Um, the earmarks from last year are, are being, uh, were utilized and are still being utilized in some cases. I, I think, uh, consumers are still being referred and are still being trade, uh, trained under the, uh, the funding from last year. And uh, a lot of people have had the opportunity to receive additional training under the uh, social rehab services that typically would not have been able to get that. So that's that's worked out very well. And uh, hopefully everything uh, continues to, to work in a positive way and, uh, and uh, the support continues to be uh, given um, to us by the legislators. Uh, they've always been very very good to mcb and so we'll uh we'll look forward to that um you know and i'll answer any questions as we go down uh into our our chat today i'm just going to give you some brief updates about uh what's going on at, at uh, mcb so many of you i hope have responded to our survey that was sent out um we uh, have uh, received approximately 3,000 returns. The uh, company that's uh, managing that uh, survey is uh, extremely pleased with the re with the return. Um, I think it's just about to close this week. So if you have a survey and haven't gotten it in, uh, try to get it in uh, this weekend. Uh, I think they, they plan to wrap things up uh, and uh, uh, we'll be working on uh, tallying the, the the results and 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 compiling the data for us, and uh, uh, hopefully we can find some great information in there that uh, will be very helpful to us as we move forward in, in developing uh, new programming, enhancing uh, enhancing programming at MCB, and uh, we. Uh, look forward to those results and obviously um, we'll be sharing those with you all um, through email and you know, post it up on our website and that sort of thing so I'm, I'm sort of excited about looking for that um, I'm very happy that we've received the amount of, uh, of returns uh, people re uh, responding to the survey that that's happened uh, they were projecting that they thought we would receive around 15, uh, 1500. So, um, I'm extremely pleased that, um, we've doubled what they expected. And who knows, maybe, uh, that, that number, uh, I received information was uh, on Thursday that they were right around 3000. So again, if you haven't completed it, uh, or, no folks who received it and haven't completed, get it in because the, the closing is, is happening very soon. Um, another thing where we're going to continue is, um, is, um, the what's your vision campaign. Um, we 
have tweaked it a little bit. So this is reallotment funding, which is a uh, funding that agencies can apply for uh, from the Rehabilitation Services Administration. Um, so many agencies don't spend all of their grant and they return the funds back to uh, the Rehabilitation Service Administration. So the agencies who do well at spending their funds have an opportunity to apply. If we have ideas, then um, and we submit uh, a proposal to RSA, and if they approve uh, and they believe it's uh, it's VR related and it will help uh, vocational rehabilitation services, they they award us with the funding. So we got this um, last August. Um, when you get the the funding in August, you have from October uh, until September 30th to spend the money. So we're going to um, re-purchase uh, some advertising. Um, the focus is going to be a little bit. Uh, different. The last campaign was sort of 50-50-ish uh, on how it was uh, targeting looking for new consumers and uh, also looking for employers. Um, so we're going to uh, put the emphasis a little more on employers. Um, we are looking, always looking for employers to expand our services, our, our internship program, to expand our employment services for uh, our consumers. So um, we're going to do some tweaks and make it um, sort of target employers and hopefully we'll we'll get that. We got we got a lot of response from people. Uh, we we picked up uh, some additional consumers, although I believe that a lot of that came through uh, because people were returning back to seeing their eye doctors and, and getting uh, medical care and, and uh, were being referred to us. But there was very little response from employers that, um, that we could measure. So um, in the ad campaign, and this has not been finalized yet, we're, we're, um, it's getting close, uh, and we expect to be on the air in the next few weeks or so. Um, but we we will be uh, setting up a special phone number this, this time around so that we can capture those calls that come in and get data. It is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to get information from the system that um, we have at the agency now, which we're part of the, the larger state system. And uh, this way, if we have a separate dedicated number for people to reply to, to the advertising that they're seeing, uh, we will be able to track that uh, directly and, and be able to um, learn how many people are actually reaching out to us. And they'll also be able to reach out to us via email. Um, that's uh, much easier. And we'll be able to sort of measure how many hits uh, we see on our uh, electronic advertising. Um, so hopefully we have better feedback. Um, I wasn't pleased with the numbers that we received last year and uh, using um, the agency number. Um, it just became impossible for us to get a real reading on um, the feedback that we were getting. Uh, although lots of people stopped me and said they saw the ad. That's great. But 
Um, I'm all about getting uh, the ad to the right individuals, um, be it future consumers and, and also future employers. And uh, hopefully this campaign uh, will target those and will we'll pick up some, some new, cons- uh, new consumers and new employers to uh, continue our, uh, our VR mission. So uh, uh, I was invited to testify in front of the, the Joint Committee on Children, Families, and uh, Persons with Disabilities. It wasn't an inf- uh, informational testimony. They, they invited all of the commissioners who uh, work for the, uh, the agencies that they over, oversee. And uh, we basically talked about uh, our agency um, and what uh, programs uh, we were um, offering to the, to the community. And so that was a um, good opportunity to, again, meet some, um, some of the legislators that, that support our funding needs and, and hear from many of you. And um, it was a very, um, very receptive uh, group of legislators. Uh, they asked some questions, um, provided, uh, we provided the answers, and uh, it worked out very well. While I was at the State House, I did uh, stop by our, um, our Randolph Shepard vendor. Um, there we have a, a small uh, coffee shop in, in the, uh, at the State House. And uh, we have opened a micro market uh, within that that shop, so that when um, they close, um, the uh, the uh, the uh, sorry, my phone is uh, uh, didn't turn that off. Um, so they they have the opportunity to continue to sell product to individuals working at the state house and. Um, and uh, someone can walk in there. The, the legislators will be working long hours over the next uh, few weeks, uh, working on the budgets. And you know they can walk in there at seven o'clock or uh, eight o'clock and purchase a candy bar or a soft drink or a sandwich or a salad or a yogurt. Um, it was. Uh, I had a chance to test the the uh, system that you use to to check out. Uh, your product, and that's accessible with speech. Uh, it's both accessible from from the person who who's buying the product. It's also accessible for the 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 user, our our vendor um, at the at the facility. So um, this is the first micro market that we've opened up here um, in Massachusetts. Uh, uh, we opened this in March, and we're currently looking at the sales revenue to see if that's um uh, it, it, and it is it's it's boosting the the uh, uh, it's, uh something just fell here in my house uh so it's boosting the uh, vendors revenues so it is um you know it's it's extremely interesting uh we will uh we're looking at other uh vending uh, stands that might benefit from something like this. Uh, it also allows the vendor not to um, not to to have a counter that's available and open for business and not have to be uh, paying a staff person. So um, it's an interesting concept. It, it, it 
probably is only useful in certain types of buildings. And um, obviously something that's 24 seven is, is great. Um, you know, military facilities would be, would be great to have staff there all the time. Um, but um, we will continue to review this and, and look at other opportunities to, to try to increase. I had a meeting with the vendors yesterday afternoon and we are also looking at other opportunities um, that we uh, different services that we can add or different types of stands that we can open. It has been extremely difficult because the the staff is not returning to levels before the pandemic at the buildings that we are in. And so um, it's important for us to try to find other ways uh, to sort of um, boost their their income and create opportunities for for other individuals on the um, on our internship program a college internship program um, we are returning back to uh, in person for our closing ceremony we're still going to be offering the soft skills training uh, online and our opening ceremony and we're going to be uh, we're placing consumers at this time in both online uh, internships, uh, hybrid internships, and in-person internships. So um, this will be uh, will be good for our consumers, um, and it also will help us uh, if it's virtual internship. Uh, our uh, our a uh, college student, high school student can can have an opportunity to uh, intern for a company outside of Massachusetts, and and if if they're interested in a virtual intern, so um, we're trying to maximize the opportunity that uh, we enhance uh, and return back to our in-person internships, but also add the uh, opportunity of, of virtual teleworking and, and virtual uh, internships so that they can uh, have uh, these different experiences and uh, hopefully that'll add even more uh, potential partners to our roster of companies who work with NCB in, in our internship program. Um, again, we're returning, uh, without returning it to a back to in-person theme, our white cane uh, day is being planned for October and we will be uh, returning to that in person. And uh, so the committee is uh, working hard on that, uh, led by our, our mobili uh, mobility team and others in, uh, in different departments at the agency. And so we, we are looking forward to, to uh, having that return back to in, in person. Also, uh, our Visions of uh, Employment webinar is uh, also being developed. This is an opportunity where we invite uh, potential employers and or new uh, potential employers um, who have expressed interest in, in, in hosting interns and again, and offering opportunities to individuals who are legally blind or uh, visually impaired. Um, so we're, we're working on that. We, we um, had good response with that. And then um, we use that as a springboard to sort of introduce the employers to candidates through our reverse job fair. So for those of you who haven't heard of reverse job fair is where we bring 
the employers in and the um, potential uh, job applicants will come in and we'll give them a pitch. And we work on developing these pitches with the, the applicants and they deliver the, uh, the timed pitch. And uh, if the employers are interested in further contact with that individual, they express that uh, to us. And um, every, all the employers are provided with every, everyone's resume that's going to be presenting. So they, they're able to look over the resume and uh, watch the, the pitch. And um, we've had uh, success with that. Uh, that's worked well virtually for us. This is something we tried um, about two, two years ago. Um, so it, it really, it, it has worked well. Um, it, it saves all the, that whole, uh, where, where you're trying to maneuver around, uh, an in, an in-person room, trying to get to the different employers. We thought this would be a great twist. Um, and it, it met, it sort of, uh, allows the employer to use their time more efficiently. And they've been happy with this where, um, they can watch the candidates that we lined up and they have their resumes in advance and they then go ahead and, and schedule interviews for those individuals that they believe might, they might have a, an opportunity for employment or an internship. So that's working out well. And, uh, we'll, we'll plan to do that again. Um, you know, this, this year. So the, the other thing that we're doing is, um, we have launched a, a community page. Don't know a community calendar page. So, uh, it's electronic and, um, it's on our homepage and it's where, um, organizations like Bay State have the opportunity to send us announcements and we will post the announcement on, uh, on that webpage. Sort of similar to what used to be, uh, our information tape. Um, we are, uh, this just uh, rolled out uh, a couple of weeks ago. Something that I've been, I've been talking about with our, our communications folks. And, uh, we are still exploring other ideas, but this is a start where again, um, any, any organization offering a service or, um, consumer groups, um, can send information to us and, and we'll post that and, uh, uh allowing you hopefully to, uh, to also, uh, reach out. And any, anytime anyone wants to send us anything, uh, regarding that, and if it's, uh, of general interest to the, the blind community, we can also send that through our Facebook. We'll, we'll share it through our, our, um, social channels and help get the word out. Um, so, um, the, the address to send any information to MCB is mcbinfo, uh, dot mass dot gov. Uh, that's been used for quite a while now. It's again, it's mcbinfo dot mass dot gov. Oh, I'm sorry, at mass dot gov. And, um, it should, uh, it, uh, we'll see how it goes. It's just, uh, kind of feedback we get from, from the community. Um, and, but it was, um, it's good to get that going. Uh, a few folks had suggested things like that. And, uh, so glad to, to put that on. And, uh, 
Um, I have other ideas that we're talking about, maybe having the radio reading services uh, uh, broadcast that information, um, maybe talking to the folks um, and carrying that on the on the news line or, or, or different uh, different outlets that might also be able to to move that forward and, and we'll be reaching out. I said it's been uh, a little bit uh, hectic at the agency. Uh, a lot of things been going on. Um, on the personnel side, we've had lots of lots of changes, um, and we're currently working through that. Um, we uh, don't have um, the CFO has left the agency. And we're currently looking for CFO. We've interviewed. Um, we got um, some really strong candidates that were interested in the position. And hopefully um, I can get someone on board. Um, so I've been sort of acting as the CFO also. Um, luckily, I, I'm fairly familiar with uh, the system and, and how things work. Um, uh, our budget director, someone we uh, just started with us on April 10th. It's a new, uh, and new to the, our, our system. So we've been working with that. Uh, our partners over MRC, I've, I've asked the commissioner to, uh, uh, help us use some of the folks and, and she's been very generous and, and they've come up and, and, and worked with us. Um, but, um, things continue to move forward though. Services are being delivered. Um, we are seeing individuals in person. We still have some time, um, uh, some, some uh, amount of uh, consumers that uh, are enjoying seeing our, our, our staff virtually and, and prefer that in, in many cases, but the option is there for both. We'll continue the virtual meetings and we will um, see you in person if that's, that's what you choose. Um, it's getting close to 1030. Um, I don't, uh, I don't want to go over the time here. So why don't we leave some time here open for questions and, uh, uh, David, however you want to handle that. Okay. Thank you, John. Uh, because we've already taken care of participant introductions, we can go till 1045. So we have a, a few more minutes. Um, so if you would like to ask John a question or make a comment, you know, please raise your hand and Rick will acknowledge you. I, if I may, I'd like to start with a, a first question. Uh, you mentioned the reallotment funds that are um, um, financed by the RSA. Um, and thanks for mentioning those. You know, a lot of a lot of people don't really know that much about those. But my question is, and also, you know, traditionally, uh, members of the blindness community really haven't been very involved for whatever reason in, you know, uh, helping in the identification or design of some of those reallotment projects that are submitted to the RSA. And I think some of us would perhaps like to get a bit more involved in that. So I have a two-part question. One is that is something is that something that is feasible, you know, either through the RC or some other uh, mechanism. But secondly, you mentioned the calendar, uh, and I'm wondering uh, if indeed we could participate in one form or another in helping to identify some of these projects. Have we missed the boat for this year in terms of the calendar? No, you um, you have not missed the boat. Um, 
So reallotment funds are um, sometime in late June, late June, early July. Uh, all agencies across the country that, again, RSA feels are, are doing well at, at spending their, their initial VR grant uh, will be sent an email asking that um, if you have any additional projects that you would like to to uh, launch, a lot of these could be test pilots. They could be um, something that is a one-time project <clears throat> you're going to do. Um, and so you have to submit it. I believe it's somewhere right around mid-August, maybe around August 15th or so. So it's a quick turnaround. And when I say proposals, it, it's a couple of paragraphs. They want something uh, simple and quick because they receive hundreds of these uh, from the agencies around the country. So it's a couple of paragraphs describing the project in, uh, in very general uh, overview type. And you ask them for an amount of money to cover that you think will cover that, that uh, project. When they get back to you, then um, you have, um, you have from October 1st, uh, which is when the federal, the next fes federal fiscal year starts to September 30th to spend that money. If you don't spend it, you have to return it, uh, as we do with, with the other, with our, our regular VOC rehab grant. We have to return it if we don't spend it. Um, but we don't have uh, any major issue there. We, we spend uh, pretty well. Uh, so, um, as far as consumer participation, um, the ideas would be, would be great. Uh, it just is a quick turnaround time. And it's, um, so basically it, it is the idea, um, um, that we are just introducing to RSA. And then once they say, uh, once they send it back to us, uh, with the, uh, and the budget that we have to work, with that concept for that concept, then we can, uh, we have to sort of develop it more. We have to put an RFR out to the community and we have to, um, go through the whole bidding process and award those contracts. So, um, you know, we have to do that in that four to six weeks time span, uh, between when RSA tells us and we, when we kick it off. Now we don't have to kick it off in October, like this campaign that we're doing now. Um, it hadn't been kicked off, um, because other priorities were, were happening. And because it's a smaller amount of money, it's, it's $500,000 than the, the larger campaign that we did uh, a couple of years ago. Um, it, so it will, uh, it will kick off, uh, soon and will be probably wrapped up by the end of September. And um, and then we can move forward. You may see something around in the first couple of weeks of October, but it's going to be a very short, uh, much shorter campaign than the first campaign was. The first campaign was about um, it's close to uh, to two million dollars, uh, if I'm recalling correctly. Um, but this one is is uh, going to be five hundred thousand dollars, and um, so it'll be much uh, much shorter. Than the other one, and it probably will not be um, as uh, extensive on television. So the answer to your question is um, it, the best way, uh, David, is for people to have ideas if they if they want to send those to MCB Info or if they want to give it to to you. 
and we'll be we'll be meeting a one-on-one -on -one with you in june uh and uh if they have ideas anytime they can they can email me directly at the agency with those ideas and what we'll do is we'll vet them to make sure that they are in compliance now this is only for vocational rehabilitation uh services only it has to be vr related or enhanced vr services because it is the rehab service administration um so that's not for our social rehab uh programs um and we can't we have to stick to uh, making sure that it is trying to enhance employment services for the uh, blind community okay we're thank gonna, yeah uh, no thank you very much go ahead Rick. yeah yeah we're going to go to jane perry followed by cindy wentz and then brian cindy if you're able to unmute why don't you go ahead Good morning, John. Hold on, Jane. Cindy got you. We'll come back to you. You touched on personnel. Could you say a little bit about what the headcount is now as compared to what it was, I don't know, a few years ago, and if there are um, constraints on that or positions that aren't filled or, or what? Sure. The headcount now, um, the personnel cap that we have is 130. 3.5. So um, the, the headcount has been pretty stable for the last uh, last five, six years. Um, the agency used to have approximately a, a around 160 um, or so uh, headcount. Um, and what, what occurred there is, is that we we had um, individuals that were being paid out of the wrong account. They would be um, federal funds were being used, and some of the majority of that staff's time was being um, spent with social rehab consumers. So let's say an example might be a rehabilitation teacher or an orientation and mobility instructor was working maybe 60 70 percent of the time with social rehab consumers but their salary was being paid under vocational rehabilitation so the the rehabilitation service administration uh discovered this and ordered the agency to to develop remedies to um to resolve this situation and so over time, what happened was that uh, as positions became open um, that had been federally funded, those positions were were moved or were uh, eliminated. They were moved to a state account if that if the uh, position was available there, or uh, they had to be eliminated because we couldn't we didn't have the state funding to back those positions. So. Um, that's where how we got down, and, and it took quite a number of years to get this. Uh, but re the Rehabilitation Service Administration uh, made us implement what's called time allocation, and uh, so that means when uh, our federally funded funded workers are working with bo both um, uh, VR and SR consumers, again using the rehabilitation teachers and. Mobility instructors, as examples, <clears throat> they have to 
indicate on their timesheet, whether it's VR or whether it's SR, so that our physical folks are charging so that you may work 20 hours for SR and 27 hours for 0.5 or 27 hours or 20 hours for um, VR, whatever the the amount of time it could be. It could be you're working 23 hours for SR and and only a a handful of hours for VR. So that's indicated on on the the timesheet that you're entering and our payroll folks enter that so that you're being properly paid on the compensation side. So it's being charged against the grant for the appropriate amount of time and the state time is being taken away out of the state funding. So this is why uh, we got down to the, the current headcount that we have. And um, it was sort of uh, RSA could have been a lot tougher with us and could have demanded uh, funds that were used to, to fund these other positions, but because we, we were asked and, and were sort of told to put a, a system in place to monitor, um, we didn't have to return any money. But this is why many of the positions were were eliminated over the years. And, and, and this started back probably, since I've been with the agency a long time, I have the history. Uh, this started back when they started talking to us about this around 2010, 2011, 12. Um, and then we've been implementing these, these changes slowly over, over the years. And so that's how we got to our, our current personnel cap. But everything is, is running smooth now. Everyone's being paid appropriately and, um, everything's, uh, is working out well. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hello. Jane, yeah, Jane, how are you? Um, quickly, thank you, Mr. Oliveira. Um, first of all, I live on the Cape, and we have a lot of seniors down here. Mm-hmm. So thank you for the transparency and getting things back for communication. Um, and I hope you do it on Newsline as well as on the website, because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't have computers, don't want to learn computers. Mm-hmm. That's correct. This also adds to the problem with rehab for social rehab. We need to have someone in our area, Region 5, who is great but needs to have a little bit more knowledge about technology if you want us to be in the technology 21st century. Mm-hmm. Also, I think the SAB meeting needs to be extended to an hour. And at the SAB meeting, you talked about employment in the agency. You didn't t- discuss or touch about any people that have been employed or been just you have just employed in Region 5. Don't forget us down here, please. We know it's your home, home baby. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, Jane. Um, yeah, as uh, I don't know if you know this, but I, I did grow up, I did grow up in, in uh, southeastern Massachusetts in, in Dartmouth. And when I first started with the agency, that was my territory that I, uh, I covered the Cape as a rehabilitation teacher. Um, so, um, Cape will not be forgotten. And, uh, we just hired, uh, a rehabilitation teacher in, in region five. Um, and, um, there's, uh, the staff is always advocating and I will, uh, there's an amendment regarding additional staff, um, at, at the, uh, for the agency. Um, and if that works out, hopefully we can increase the, the personnel cap. Um, but I will um, 
move forward with that or without that. Uh, it, uh, with that, it would be easier. Uh, without that, I will um, continue to advocate with our new secretary that we do need uh, some additional staff at the agency, and uh, and I've already indicated the need for that, um, and we'll we'll definitely try to try to do that, and we won't uh, we won't forget about Cape Cod. It's a it's a very um, a very strong population of of uh, seniors and uh, in that area, and uh, we'll uh, definitely keep uh, keep that area in mind. Brian, are you next to the question? I want to follow on both Cindy and Jane's questions relative to staffing. So currently, as I understand it, about 133 persons can be employed by MCB. That's a cap placed by uh, state regulation or, or what? Well, um, that's a cap placed by... Um, so it's always been referred to as a cap. So it is sort of uh, an understanding that that's how much money we have to cover that. You say if we have if we had 137 people, those individuals we would not have the funding. I think how the CFO calculates this is taking the number the, the funding we have uh the amount of revenue that we need to cover um the salaries and you know and all the other expenses and then they come up with a cap that the agencies um agree to now i know that the secretary's office and i'll get more information on this this is nothing uh something i haven't been involved with uh, brian and um mm -hmm. I will uh, check with the, with the secretary um, more on this. We have uh, our first meeting with the, with, the, with Kate Walsh uh, coming up um, uh, late, uh, late next week, I believe. And uh, I will explore this more. I've already started talking a bit about it with the undersecretary, but she, she started with the state on, on April 10th. So uh, a lot of us are, uh, are working with a lot of new individuals. But I will definitely get that. Uh, I, I definitely think we should need to move that cap up. But you can't move the cap up until you know there's funding to cover the personnel. Um, well, and again, because we're talking about trying to get that extra money in the budget to right. increase staffing. Right. By your current understanding that uh, as the money increases, the cap increases with your current understanding. Uh, so if we got another first, million dollars, yeah, uh, then you wouldn't be necessarily no, if, if the fund stuck if with one thirty three. If the funding is there, then obviously the directive is to to hire those additional staff. The capital will go up because the funding is there, and understood. We'll, we'll look at the the salary of those individuals. Uh, you know, the, the cost of the, the French benefits, anything like that that goes along with it. And then, um, that will, will be supported. So the, 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 you're right. The larger, um, the larger, fa the largest factor is that, uh, is there funding to cover those positions? And so at, at this point, we can cover the 133.5 with the funding we currently have with additional funding. 
whether it comes through the amendment or another uh, vehicle that might be uh, available to us. Uh, that will have the money comes to the agency and then we allocate it towards personnel and then we can move the cap up. So in some cases, you can go a little bit over the cap uh, because we've had uh, when you have personnel changes. So the, the positions stay open for a period of time. Um, so we haven't been at 133.5 for the past number of years. We've been at 128, 129. Um, you know, I, I think right now we're right around 130 because we've had some some supervisors leave and we're in a process of getting that. So it the 133.5 uh, takes into that that the full uh, full employment of those positions or a full staffing of those positions positions will be available for the year. That's how they calculate how much funding is needed. But we've had so much um, turnover, um, personnel leaving, that um, there has been uh, some funding. We were able to hire an additional um, Region 4. We just brought back a retired staff person to help out with rehab teaching because their staff um, were going out on maternity leave. Um, they had some medical, other, other staff had medical issues, so the, the region was pretty pretty slim so we since we've had all this opening these, these open time periods where positions weren't filled we were able to use some of those those state funds to bring uh what is a consultant and they don't get any benefits so it's just straight salary that we have to cover so we brought this retired individual back in for for a, a three-month period to help carry carry through so there are gotcha. certain Temporary things that can be done, but it, it, when you, if you want to bring someone in full time and as a long term situation, you need to have the funding to cover that person. What percentage of the one thirty three point five is SR and VR? How would you divide that up right now? I, I don't have those numbers in my head uh, exactly, but. Um, so there. So I let me let me have the uh, the HR folks look at that and give you that. That'd be fine. Um, That'd be fine. But it's uh, we can send that to David and he can share that with you. Um, but in is, general, because you get more money from the federal government for VR than you get from state government for SR. Well, not. No, this is well, not more, not more money. Um, oh, so not the, more the, money. So the so the grant for VR is about eight million dollars. Okay. So, um, our our de uh, deaf blind extended supports unit receives mm -hmm. about fourteen million dollars, mm -hmm. and then the one thousand account receives the additional funding. Um, so that. That brings us up. So there, there is more state money at the agency, um, but there, um, because of that, the turning twenty-two program, uh, although it's a large, um, large amount of money, we're covering um, group homes, different types of shared living for uh, those consumers, different types of uh, day programming that are ongoing and occur regularly. 
Um, so that that uh, requires uh, a lot of that $14 million, and we have to use it for that Turning 22 program. Um, Understood. So th when the money gets reverted from that program, it's because the programs that we estimated uh, that we that were planned for consumers to attend during the day, we've had a lot of the vendors this past year uh, just not take them back because they don't have enough staff to cover them if they bring them back to to the program. And so th there's going to be some reversion of that type of program. Uh, we've had, I believe, um, two consumers uh, pass away that were in our long-term group home um, living arrangements. And those are approximately about 150,000, 180,000 per year, depending on the level of service that person needs. So that, uh, that is funds that once you've allocated that into the contract, you don't pay the vendor. But there, if there's no one else that's waiting or, or needs that, um, that type of um, group home setup or setting, then you, um, that money would, would get reverted. So, um, yeah, the, so there is uh, the 1000 account is the main account that our commute, our um, mobility instructors, rehab teachers are paid out of. Um, roughly, we have about, um, again, I'm doing this off the uh, top of my head. I was sort of counting the people as I was speaking. We have a, around 16 counselors that cover the state and somewhere close to we have five supervisors uh, on the VR side, and then we have some employment services. So th there are more SR people. Uh, obviously, the numbers are higher in SR. There are more SR people here at the agency than than VR. Um, but we will. Uh, I'll, I'll get a count through our uh, HR folks and, and give you guys a percentage. Thank you so much. I I have to tell you how impressed I am with the. Again, like Jane said, the transparency. We're hearing two things here for me. One is numbers when they're known, but uh, a willingness to share additional information with us. You acknowledging, I don't know this. I'll get back to you on that. That's a very important part of our relationship with the commission. Thank you. Thanks again. Well, I look forward to, to keeping an open uh an open dialogue going between all of us. I mean, we're here to, to serve the blind community and um, we want to hear from the blind community, how, how everyone is, feels about our services and if there's anything we can change. And it's, you know, information is, is helpful to all of us. And um, I don't mind sharing it. Some of the information might not be what you want to hear, might not be what I want to share, but uh, because I, I'm not happy with the numbers, and I, I put a lot of pressure on our counselors, on our VR folks, to, to get more folks working and uh, and get things out there, do more outreach. And this is why we're, a lot of the uh, the projects, uh, uh, you know, the reallotment projects will always be towards employment services. That's what it's supposed to be for. And we look forward to continue working with the community and, uh, and sharing uh, the information that we have when we have it. And if we, if we don't know it, uh, then uh, we will... We'll find it. Uh, it's a matter of, of looking for it at the agency and talking to the right individual. I'm looking forward to, to having a CFO come on board um, uh, because, again, uh, it's there's a lot of information that I, I could pull um, from the financial side of the operation um, and uh, the individual that we are currently 
uh, looking at is is um, appears to be um, outstanding individual in my, in my opinion and in, in, the, in the, the panel's uh, opinion that interviewed them and we're looking forward to bringing that person on board and, and uh, um, having a again uh, opportunity to, to share whatever information and um, and we'll be as creative as we can to expand uh, the opportunities I know that there's been um, a shortage in, in certain areas in the agency as far as on the uh, rehab teaching side or uh, orientation mobility side. There's been uh, a shortage. We're trying to get there. There's also a shortage in, in qualified staff. And I'm, I'm uh, hoping and that the U University of Mass programs continue to turn out individuals. But, you know, they may have 25 individuals in, in the current class, say, of rehab teachers. Um, but 20 of them are out of state individuals and, you know, most of them will never come here. And between us and the Carroll Center needing certain individuals, uh, you know, it, 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 and MAPV needing, uh, staffing, it becomes a very tight market for us to, to find individuals that are qualified. And, and oftentimes we, we have to end up doing our own training and it may take longer for someone to get up to speed. Um, but, uh, we will do our best to keep bringing people in and uh, and working with the, the we we you know through our posting and opportunity uh, employment opportunities we do send it through the through the different um, job sites that people are looking at for employment we send it uh, around the the country to other uh, other directors to share in in their state to see if consumers are interested in coming here or. Even uh, a lot of their staff approach us. Um, so uh, we're definitely always trying to look for it, but it, it is a very tight labor market uh, and especially even tighter when it comes to getting experienced, qualified people to, to bring into the agency. Thank, thank you, John. Thank you for um, uh, sharing time with us here today. Uh, more important, thank you for the work that you're doing right now. Um, it's a transition time for the commission, and uh, you're the best person to be there. I think we all agree on that. And also thank you for your nearly or more than 30 years of, of service to the blindness community. Uh, feel free to... 36. <laughs> 36. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And feel free to stick around uh, because our next topic, you know, will relate to advocacy and some of these have to do with the um, with the commission itself. So thank you. Okay. I'll, I'll uh, stick around for a little while. Thanks so much, okay. guys, uh, for giving me the time to come in today and uh, look forward to continue working with you all. Okay. So I'd like to uh, ask uh, Nona Haroyan to unmute. Nona is our advocacy committee uh, chairperson. This is, it's springtime, and springtime means it's budget time uh, for the, on Beacon Hill. And uh, we have a panel where we will be talking about some of the uh, legislative initiatives that we're working on now. So, uh, Nona. Thank you. Thanks, David. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, Rick, before we even begin, I just want to make sure that all of our panelists have the ability to unmute themselves. And that would be um, Myra Ross, um, Jim Badger, and Kim Charlson. Yep, they're all set. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, well, 
like I said, good morning, everyone. And, and to the commissioner, um, we wish you the best of luck. Um, and I want to echo uh, what Brian said. We, we so appreciate the, the transparency um, that we really were lacking before. So thank you so much. Um, so uh, as, as we turn, <laughs> turn from our um, ACB legislative imperative time, we now move to uh, our state legislative imperatives, if you will. And so today we have um, a few speakers who are going to be talking about kind of the issues that um, are, are most pressing when it comes to our state issues. Um, so our first uh, first point is actually going to be uh, David Kingsbury is going to talk to us about um, MCB, uh, but a particular uh, line item that was uh, approved in the budget. So, uh, David, if you if you want to start. Sure, I will. Uh, and again, we're a few minutes behind, but I thought the last conversation was important to uh, to continue. So I'll I'll be I'll be brief to maybe make up a few minutes. So um, uh, this is I've lost count, maybe the fourth or fifth year where a an earmark for social rehabilitation funding uh, has been submitted to the legislature for approval. The first one or two were in the neighborhood of 250,000, 300,000, something like that, four or five years ago. Um, I think due to popular demand, the effectiveness of it, um, the ask this year has grown to $1.1 million. And again, that is for social rehabilitation funding. Of that, within that earmark, the $500,000 um, proposed to be reserved for the Carroll Center, 300,000 uh, for MAVV. Uh, one reason why those specific sums for those specific organizations is that, you know, through experience, uh, one has found that um, if that uh, an amount is pre-specified, um, then the organization can get up and going once the money is approved much more quickly. You don't have to go through the whole RFR, RFP bidding process. Uh, etc. Um, where we stand right now um, is that 1.1 million has already been approved by the House, went to the Senate Ways and Means Committee. I think they have uh, approved it, done what they need to do. So the next thing we are going to be asking for, uh, and that will probably be sometime within the next couple of weeks or so, uh, will be for you to contact your senators, your state senators, um to advocate for this um as you know i am a uh, technology instructor at the uh carroll center so i've seen firsthand the benefits of this sr program a number of you members have firsthand seen it in fact during this last week uh, i trained myself five people who are on this call um so this is of direct benefit to many of you who are members uh, who are under the SR account. And if you do want technology training and, you know, your your program or uh, your, uh, your, your case is currently closed, it's very easy to reopen that. But, of course, that's getting a little bit of uh, ahead of things. Uh, so, again, technology training, technology equipment, and the nice thing about that particular type of training, as, as, as I have seen it, and I'm only talking about the training part, there are other parts, psychological counseling through MABV uh, and, and others, is that you can do the training very short term, very 
uh, very tailor-made to what you want to work on. Uh, we you know, do iPhone, iPad training, various things related to JAWS or NVDA, whatever it might be. Um, the last thing I will say is that, you know, in future years, ideally, you know, we would like this to be folded into the, the general MCB budget, not have to go back to the legislature every year for an earmark. Uh, but this particular year was not the year to do that, given uh, a transition that was unexpected. Uh, but perhaps in future years, uh, we'll, be, we'll be doing that. So uh, just to say, uh, look forward to an email on the announce list sometime in the next few weeks, asking you to contact your senator. A number of you did that uh, when it was the turn of the House. And your legislators hearing that this is of interest to the blindness community, as well as to you specifically, if indeed it is, um, that makes an impact. It's made an impact in the past. Um, it will make an impact this time around too. So uh, thank you, and I will stop there. Thanks, David. Um, before I um, invite Jim to speak uh, next, I just I think Jerry and I would just like to reiterate and, and just say a thank you to our community. Um, we've asked a lot. It's been a very busy time, and we've asked a lot of you to contact your legislators and just be patient with us a little bit more. We, we have a few more asks, but um, thank you so much. Uh, I've heard from... Um, members who've already contacted their legislators. So it's very much, very much appreciated. Um, and, you know, our, our efforts do, do make a difference. So um, now we're going to talk about another MCB issue. Um, uh, it's actually Amendment 496. I just recently sent out some information regarding that, and the commissioner kind of alluded to an amendment regarding staff. And um, Jim Badger is going to speak on that. Jim? Thanks, Nona. Um, so to avoid any confusion, I just want to be clear that I'm speaking not on behalf of the agency officially because I'm not authorized, nor can I do that. Um, I'm speaking as a private citizen and as an officer of SEIU 509, which represents the majority of the um, direct service workers at MCB. Um, there, as, as Nona mentioned, there is an amendment currently um, it that was proposed by Senator Cynthia Cream, who has been a longtime ally both of the earmarks and of um, staffing at MCB and of of our community. Um, she uh, and she, there had been an amendment proposed in the House, which did not um, it passed technically, but they didn't fund it. So um, it's kind of a Byzantine process. But in our current um, situation, the it, we're in the state Senate part of the budget. And so Senator Cream has um, introduced Amendment 496, um, which is for the 1,000 account line item that John was talking about, the, um, the community services account, basically the SR account. And um, what it basically what it says is that um, it provides for a million dollars and says no less than one million dollars will be expended to hire social workers, rehabilitation teachers, and orientation and mobility instructors, which um, have been positions that we we are um, in short supply of. We um, Most of us are pretty significantly over the our caseload capacity um, and our 
agreements with the state in terms of what our caseloads are supposed to be. But the important part of that is that it causes delays in services and makes it hard for us to do to provide the services at the level that we know that people need them. And so um, so we are, uh, as Nona said, she sent out an email yesterday. We are going to be asking and we are asking people to contact their state senators and ask them to um, co-sponsor the amendment and to vote for it, which it doesn't always follow. I hate to say it. it doesn't always follow that they co-sponsor. Some people vote against the things they co-sponsor. So it's important that we push for both. Um, I would guess right now what we're asking is that the state senators contact um, Michael Rodriguez, who is the head of the Ways and Means Committee. Um, but we're, we're basically asking at this point that people support this amendment and that there probably will be another ask around this to make sure that it gets voted in and that we'll be able to raise our staffing cap. Um, because as John said, we do need the money to be able to do that. So please um, pay attention to the emails that you get from Nona. We know we have asked a lot, but we've also accomplished a lot as a community and as people who work um, in direct service at MCB. And it doesn't happen without us doing this. So um, I just want to say, um, before I turn it back over to Nona, that um, as a person working at MCB, I, I can tell you that the atmosphere feels a lot better um, and that we're feeling hopeful. And we're very grateful to all the members of the community who have been supportive of our agency and of um, the people who work there. And um, so we ask you for your con continued support and that for, at this exact moment that you support Amendment 496 um, so that we can get the money we need so we can serve people at a higher level and in the way that we've always, we always have and that we always want to be able to do. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. Um, and we'll have time, hopefully we'll have some time at the end if anyone has any questions. Um, our third issue, which is such an important one that, you know, really affects all of us is transportation. And I'm just going to turn this over to Myra Ross. Myra? Good morning. Um, transportation is a very big issue for most of us. And beginning last fall, as David said earlier, he began a transportation committee. There are about eight of us. Um, we have met. Um, he chose us because we're geographically distinct um, and um, interested in working on this. But we have people from uh, the MBTA zone. We have people who live outside the MBTA zone but can interact with the MBTA zone. We have people from Worcester. We have people from Pioneer Valley. We have people, uh, one person from Cape Cod. And um, believe it or not, we're all living in a different universe. Um, there are 15 RTAs in Massachusetts Regional Transit Authorities, um, 15 plus the MBTA. Um, we, they are autonomous. They um, do, do not coordinate in many cases. Their procedures for certification and recertification are drastically different. Um, and we are trying to make some sense of it because let's face it, this is a pretty small state. And to have 15 RTAs plus the MBTA 
all doing their own thing seemed a little bit um, unreasonable to us and also not efficient. There are some of the RTAs that coordinate with each other. For example, Pioneer Valley and Franklin County coordinate, but you have to have a transfer point. So you get off one and you wait for the other. Um, and I think that Brockton that David uses um, and MBTA have a similar arrangement. And I know there are other places that have similar arrangements, but there are places like Worcester that don't have that kind of turn, um, connection with other RTAs. So if you're in a Worcester um, location, you can use only what they have. Um, and if you want to use another RTA, you have to, um, if you want to use them more than 21 days in a year, you have to apply for different um, certification. And sometimes um, if you want to use them less, you have to make calls in advance and prove that you are uh, certified by a different RTA. Anyway, it's a mess. And so um, it took us a few meetings to figure out what a mess it was. Um, and then we got together in January, three or four of us talked to someone from the Department of Transportation um, to tell him all about what we were thinking. Um, and you'll see a lot of what we are thinking in the resolution that's going to come up um, because it includes most of the, a lot of the things that we've been thinking about. Um, as far as some standardization of procedures, some connectivity between the um, RTAs that just could make our lives much easier. Is this one going to take money? Do I have to put money in a different one? Can you only pay with cash on this one? Can you only play, pay with an account on that one? Um, and it, it's very complicated. And if you really knew the differences, it would sort of blow your mind because it's such a small state. Anyway, we talked to a um, gentleman from the Department of Transportation who seemed quite interested, um, and the commissioner at the time was there as well. Um, and they told us to give us the DOT. Uh, gentleman gave us, asked for more time so he could talk to the people that were coming on board through the new administration. And um, we waited three or four months. David contacted them a couple times. Um, and then decided to go out on our own and contact MARTA. Um, MARTA isn't a person. MARTA is an organization, Massachusetts, um, what is it? Massachusetts Regional Transit. Uh, I don't even know which A is which, but anyway, Association of Regional Transit Authorities. Um, and they have a meeting in June. They've invited a, a few of us to come and talk to them about some of the things that um, you'll see in the resolution. Um, so that we can try to see if anyone's willing to help us standardize um, procedures and help people use more than one transit organization because the towns are so small and so connected, but it's hard. It, it, they're compartmentalized now. Um, so that's happening in June. And it's been, um, it's actually been sort of amazing to um, to do this kind of work. There are eight of us on the committee. Um, and the other thing that I will just tell you about, some of us on the committee are on uh, regional transit authority advocacy boards that have to do with um, have to do with paratransit. Um, every every RTA calls it a different thing: paratransit riders, paratransit advocacy. I don't even know what they call them in all of them. But I urge you to look if you're interested in this 
solving the transportation problem to look into whether your RTA has one of these boards and if they do to apply for membership because if your voice is heard and if we're all speaking with a similar kind of voice which is more um, a statewide or at least a regionally wide voice rather than just a little tiny fiefdom voice which is what they all speak with I think we might get somewhere um, because all of those RTAs are in this MARTA organization. So if you want to um, get involved in something, contacting your local, um, uh, you know, your local regional transit authority and asking if they have anything for people who use paratransit would be um, would be really good. The other thing that I want to talk about is there is legislation, of course, and there is, I mean, budget um, information. There is currently $100 million for the regional RTAs. Um, there is over $2 billion for the MBTA, but the regional RTAs are looking, um, are currently funded. And in the House, uh, in the Senate Ways and Means budget, the way we would like it to be. So I got this email that said, it's good, y'all. I don't know where she comes from, but it was funny. Um, and I don't know if it's going to stay that way. So we may need to send you an advocacy alert to go after funding. And they are going to try to fund um, for the RTAs. This isn't just paratransit. So. A very small percentage of the hundred million is just for paratransit. Some of it is to fund fare-free um, periods of time um, for all of the RTAs, including paratransit, which would be very nice because paratransit at least can be very expensive. Um, and some of it is just for generalized improvements. And um, I think it's important for them to put that hundred million dollars in the budget. Currently, it's 94 million. Last year, the ask was 102, and we didn't get the increase that they were looking for. So they had a level fund from the year before to this year, and this year in the House Ways and Means budget. I'm sorry again, the Senate Ways and Means budget, there is a $6 million increase. So um, I guess that's it in a nutshell. You will hear some of the things that we're talking about in the resolution, um, and I'll be happy to answer any questions, but I do urge you to get involved um, because through our involvement, there might be some ways to make this easier. Thank, thank you, Myra. You uh, made, a, I think, a complicated issue <laughs> a little simpler, and you're right, the, the uh, uh, resolution we'll be working on, uh, voting on later, we'll, we'll be discussing this. Um, so uh, before we, I turn this over to our last speaker, which is Kim Charlson. Um, I just want to say on behalf of Jerry and, and myself um, that, you know, um, you know, we, I know we've, we've asked a lot and we're still asking more. So, you know, just be, like I said, be patient with us and, um, and, and just um, keep uh, list, you know, watching for, our, for um, emails that will, come with uh, with action alerts. So um, our last um, issue is is really something um, that, you know, is it's kind of been in, we, we talked a lot last year about um, online voting. 
Um, and this is a little bit different. It's uh, the the new generation or a new iteration of the voting machines in our precincts. And um, as we know, our, our, our the voting um, machines are like 20 years old and they're starting to break down. So we really need to, to start talking and having a dialogue about that. So um, I'm going to turn this over to Kim. Thank you, Nona. And before I talk about voting and um, access to the voting process, I just want to follow up on something that Myra said, which was, you know, getting involved in your local transit um, advisory boards, if they have them, which they certainly should. Um, a few weeks ago, in a similar note, I sent out an email to the BSCB announce list asking for any individuals who serve on their local commissions on disability in their city or town to um to notify me so I could build um, a bit of a resource group of blind and low vision people who serve on local town boards, commissions on disability. So I did get quite a few responses and I just wanted to reiterate that if you didn't contact me and you'd like to be part of this resource group for any kind of um, questions and responses, what's going on in your town, um, please send me an email um, with your contact information, um, this isn't a list that's going to be broadcast all over the world. It is a resource list for the individuals who serve on a commission on disability to know that there are others out there. In fact, I chair my Watertown Commission on Disability, and there are many who chair their local commissions as well. And we often have questions that we ask each other about, does your town do this this way or that way? And I think it's a really good network for us to be able to strengthen our influence and advocacy within our own local communities. So um, most of you know, I have a couple email addresses. This one I'll give Kim Charlson, all one word, K-I-M-C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N at acb.org will work just fine to get to me. So that's my my comment on that. Now I want to turn to... Um, accessible voting. And, you know, we we are fortunate that we have many options to vote in an accessible way in Massachusetts and in this country. Um, we can go to the polling place and use accessible equipment. Um, we can use a paper ballot with a reader if that is our choice. Um, we can also, and that's often called absentee ballot, or more recently during the pandemic was referred to as a mail-in ballot. Um, and we also, because of our advocacy and the law that was passed last year and legal action, now have um, online access to an accessible absentee or mail-in ballot process. So we we really saw that um, over the last couple of years being um, a process that was available to some in primarily larger cities throughout the Commonwealth. Um, Boston was was absolutely a leader. Cambridge, Watertown, Quincy, Worcester, Springfield, um, all those communities um, participated in accessible online access. To an, to an accessible online ballot that you would receive in your, um, 
in your computer or your mobile device. Um, and you were able, initially, you were only able to fill it out um, online, and then you had to print it. And that we claimed as as rightfully, I truly agree, was kind of a burdensome process. Not everybody has a printer in their home. Um, they They wanted us to make PDF files if we were submitting it. And we felt that that was just way too burdensome for most people to be able to participate and use that accessible online option. So we petitioned that there should also be a process for us to accessibly and easily submit our ballot after completion back through an electronic process. And in the November election in 2022, that process was available to us, um, as well as all the other options that I've talked about before. So that is, you know, fantastic. We still have some questions because um, the the law in the state covers state elections, and it's a little unclear at this point whether municipal elections are covered. Most of the communities that were initially involved in the um, the early stages of online voting, those municipalities generally, um, I don't speak for all of them, but generally most of them are doing their their municipal elections with the same process they used for the state election. But right now, I think more advocacy is going to be required to to make sure that there is equity in that accessible online process for for balloting. And we'll keep you posted on that. Regarding the polling place and what often we're referring to as the next generation of accessible voting equipment, um, there's there's much to stay tuned for. Um, we all know from likely personal experience that the automark machines that are deployed all across Massachusetts in all precincts um, are aging. And first, I want to acknowledge that the decision, you know, 15 years ago to get one system statewide is absolutely what we believe is the best thing for people with disabilities in the Commonwealth. There are some states like Florida where every county makes its own decision and they truly have dozens of options. Nothing is consistent from town to town, county to county there. Um, Thank goodness we avoided that problem and we um, we have a process for you know, a single machine, everybody can know how to use it. And if you move, there's not a new process and a new device to learn, which which is is good. The, the Secretary of State's office is responsible for kind of, you know, identifying and figuring out what equipment might be considered for deployment. And they have not really started that process at this point. So I think that our advocacy work is going to in, engage in a little bit more nudging and pushing because the automark equipment is aging and it's going to take some time to make sure that there are, first of all, certified equipment on the list for the Secretary of State to consider. I don't think they're automatically just going to run out and buy the new generation automark. They, they likely would 
be sued by other voting machine vendors if they did that. So there has to be an entire process behind how we select and identify the next voting system for the Commonwealth. And that will absolutely involve user engagement and feedback on that equipment. There will probably be um, equipment fairs where we as users of the equipment go and engage in dialogue with, you know, this was good, this wasn't so good. before that process is going to begin. So there's a lot of work and a lot of steps in that process still to come for all of us. So it it definitely is a stay tuned for more details um, report on where we are with the voting equipment. Um, One piece of legislation that I wanted to mention that has been introduced and I don't believe has had a hearing or anything at this point, but has been introduced is legislation that would make it um, so that the equipment, the the voting equipment in the polling place uses statewide the same ballot that everyone else uses. Some voting machines on out there that are available have, um, well, they all have digital capacity but some have like a little printout that looks like a receipt that you'd get from a a purchase um, where others actually take the same ballot that everyone uses in your precinct, load it into the printer. You, you do your ballot, you fill it out and then you print, you know, I submit my ballot and the printer affixed to the accessible equipment prints your ballot. So the legislation that has been introduced requires Massachusetts to use the same paper ballot that everyone else in the Commonwealth uses to cast their ballot. So that would, in essence, you know, disqualify any vendor who prints out a little receipt or only has an electronic record of the ballot. We want our ballot that we use with the accessible equipment to be the same ballot that everyone else uses so that it truly is a secret ballot um, not if you're in a town where you're you're one of few blind people and you go to the ballot the, to the poll and vote, you don't want your little piece of paper in Recording with everybody stopped. else's um, ballot. So the um, so that is in the legislature. No action has happened yet on that bill, but we will keep you posted on that. I think it's a um, a good thing for us as citizens to be able to know that our ballot will be just like everyone else's and it's not different. We may vote with a different piece of equipment, but the net result in the polling place is the same ballot as everyone else uses. So that's what I have to report on accessible voting and access to the election process. And there will be more coming um, down the road. Thanks, Nona. Thank you, Kim. Thank you very much. Um, David, I don't, in terms of time, I don't know um, if we're, I think we're running over, but do we have time for questions if anyone uh, has? Yeah, thanks for asking. We're, we're a little bit time challenged, but this is an important session. So I would think if people can be, you know, brief and to the point in asking their questions, as well as the same for respondents, maybe we can entertain uh, two questions. So Rick, if you've got anybody, yeah. and if we can... Go ahead, Go ahead. David, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, if you could, I don't know how many people have raised hands, but, you know, if you could uh, prioritize people perhaps who haven't spoken right. yet already. Yep. Um, I, I heard it say 
I heard it say re- uh, the recording had been stopped. I don't know. Not. If, uh, yeah, I, I got yeah. to check that. Uh, we do have multiple recordings, but I, I don't know what's happening there. Okay, good. Okay. But, uh, yeah, don't worry about it. Maria, please. Yes, thank you. Um, my question is about being involved. I really uh, am interested in being more involved. My question is this. I am a foreign citizen. I'm a member of uh, uh, of ACB and a Bay State Council of Blind. And I will be moving to Massachusetts as of um, October, September, uh, where I will be um, on a visa. And I don't know if this is, if there is any way anyone can learn what happens to those members of the community who are actually not American citizens, but are there legally in progress. visa, if they can actually be involved, if they can actually avail themselves of any benefits, uh, if they can, uh, what happens with the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, if their voice can be heard. That's my question. Thank you. That's that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure in terms of services from the commission. Um, maybe that's something that we would need to look into if anyone has an answer to that. Jim, perhaps you might know, Jim Badger. It's something we kind of have to clarify because it's kind of a case-by-case thing, but there are some services, depending on the type of visa a person has, if they're a resident of Massachusetts, there are some services we're able to provide and there are some that were not, so it's hard. It's hard for me to to characterize it in the in general, but it's it's something certainly um, that we can follow up about. Okay, that's great. And, and in with, terms of getting with respect involved, to voting, yeah. um, I think it's pretty clear that um, only U.S. citizens can vote, and so that one would be pretty straightforward. Okay, Cheryl Cummings, please. Um, hi. So. David, you talked about the airmark, and I just wanted to ask, I know when a vendor gets funding through the RFR or RFP process, there are reporting requirements, um, and also uh, if the funding isn't used, I think you have to give it back to the MCB. Um, What happens when an agency gets an airmark? What are the accountability requirements? And then what happens if the funding isn't used? Uh, well, if John was on uh, the, I think John may still be here. He may be able to give a, a, a better answer. But all of those same requirements, I think, would apply. I know that in the case of the Carroll Center, they, they certainly have to report on uh, what they've done with the funding. You know, if it's training, who they've trained, what they trained them in. Uh, so in that respect, I don't think it would be any different than if somebody went through the whole RFP, RFR process. And also, if they don't spend the funds, yes, they have to hand the funds back. So um, I don't think anything is different in, in, in that respect. And is there any sort of um, information about what happened with the funding that was received pre- previously? Any sort of report that as a member of BSCB, I can get information on? Uh, if there were such a report, that would come from the MCB. I don't think, you know, Carroll Center or MAVI would uh, report, you know, beyond what perhaps they have in their annual reports. Um, so I think that would be more in 
MCB annual report, but I'm not the best person to to answer that. I don't know if John has some clarification on on uh, that or or Jim or somebody. Hi, sorry, uh, I was muted. Um, so uh, MCB, once we give the money to the vendor uh, through the earmark when it's specified for a vendor, um, the um, counselors, the, the social workers receive reports from the Carroll Center um, and um, they receive referrals um, directly from our staff to the Carroll Center. So um, we would have and to we would have to poll each individual worker to to see how many reports were made. The Carroll Center could provide a report to the agency. Um, they did um, when we were doing the purchase orders and, and when we did the purchase orders for each client, we we had we could easily keep track of how many clients had been referred and what they were being referred for. But uh, when they get the earmark without going through the RFR process, it's um, not as tight as far as paperwork that has to be filed. So the referrals can go directly to the vendor without involving uh, any fiscal um, piece of it because the secretary has ordered the earmark to be provided to the um, organizations in, uh, in, in one uh, lump sum payment or two uh, payments. So um, it is not as, as strict as you would be if you had an RFR um, that went out to the public to bid on and, and, and go through that process. Okay, so I just want to make sure I understand. So I think what I'm hearing is that the, the, the organizations that get earmarks, the earmarks go directly to them. Uh, there is some reporting, but it's not as strict, and neither does it allow the agency to uh, gather data to be able to say X amount of people were served and this is what was accomplished. So the, the vendor could provide that back to the agency at the end of the year. We can say, well, how many people did you serve with that money? And they can give us an accounting. Um, but for us to search it at the agency, we'd have to go to each individual social worker, case manager, and ask how many did you refer? Because it's it's not as formal as it would be or as tight as it would be if it was under an RFR. All right. Thank you. I, I would just add one other thing, at least in terms of the Carroll Center. You know, when I do some training, I know what I report that then goes to, um, um, you know, others at the Carroll Center and then ultimately to the uh, to the counselors. So, if it's a VR training of two weeks, four weeks, you know, my report is a bit longer. If it's an SR training, which is typically could be as few as two hours or a day, you know, I, you know, I let people know who did I train? How many hours did I do it? And bullet points on, we did this in Word, we did that in Outlook uh, or whatever. So at least at the level of our, of say the Carroll Center, we've seen MAPV and others would be the same. You know, we we would know all the things that we did, but you know, some of these are again. I come back to this issue of uh, reallotment projects. 
I think one thing that could be an interesting project, and this is something that we'd like to talk about uh, a little bit more um, within BSCB uh, before maybe going to the MCB is, you know, are there ways, uh, are there ways we can put together sort of uh, uh, reporting or dashboards or something like that, that could be shared with say the RC or the SAB on, you know, what services have been provided over the last three months, six months, year, or whatever. And, and maybe there are data systems already in place at MCB that make it possible to do that. Maybe there are gaps. So that could be something interesting to look at, perhaps with uh, reallotment funds. Although maybe that doesn't relate to SR, because as John said, that's VR. So uh, I just wrote my guidelines of um, trying to keep it short, but... Um, I think, uh, thank you for that question, um, Cheryl. I think that needs to be our uh, our last question or comment for this session, because as I said, we're a bit time challenged. Uh, I would like to thank uh, Nona for organizing uh, this session, as well as the uh, the panel members for their um, their great contributions. Again, um, as, as Nona and the um, panelists said, um, We've got work to do. We're making asks. It's a bit demanding around this time of year, but those asks are not for unimportant things. They are for important things. And I think all of which uh, serve you either as, 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 as members and as blind, as, as uh, members of the blindness community. So, so thank you, Nona. Thank you to the panelists. And next up, we now start our business session. This year, the business select session will include uh, um, uh, consideration of three resolutions, and we will also be electing um, board directors. It's an odd year, so in the odd years, that's who we elect. Um, in some years, we also um, consider amendments to the constitution, uh, but we judge this year, we, we did a fair amount of housekeeping in terms of the constitution last year. So we didn't really think uh, we needed to consider anything this year. So first up is the reading of the resolutions. Now, hopefully um, you all received, I, I sent out um, as part of a big email last night, um, an email where the resolutions were listed uh, our constitution requires that we do a we first do a reading of those resolutions. But this morning, it's only a reading. Uh, there is no Q and A at this point. There'll be time for questions, clarifying questions, uh, arguing for and against in the afternoon. But it is just a reading of the resolutions. And again, we have three of them. Um, Today. So, Brian, I'd like to invite you to uh, uh, to take the floor. Is Brian unmuted? Uh, I think Brian is muted. I hear him talking very vaguely at his computer in another room. So, well, if, if he can yell really loud, maybe we can hear him through yours. Kim. Yeah, I'm unmuted. There you there go. That's much better. All okay. right. So, I want to thank the committee, David Kingsbury, Deanne Elliott, and myself. We received four resolutions. One was withdrawn, and the three that will be read this morning 
are all recommended with a do-pass recommendation. Now, I've asked Kim if she'd be so kind as to read them. So utilizing her refreshable Braille display, Kim, would you please do that for us? Thank you. And I'll, I'll need to switch in between each so you can speak back when I finish and give me a couple moments to change files. So BSCB Resolution 2301, Funding of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind. Whereas the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind is the state agency charged with administering state and federally funded programs intended to assist blind and visually impaired citizens of the Commonwealth to achieve independence through employment and compensatory skills of daily living. And whereas the state funding of the community services program account line item 4110-1000, serving about 90% of the 25,000 legally blind consumers in the Commonwealth, requires an additional $850,000 to adequately fund the staffing and supplies necessary to achieve their independence, and whereas the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind contracts with several not-for-profits to provide independent living skills training, including the use of adaptive technology and associated services, all of which will require an increase in the independent living and assistive technology earmark from 850000 to $1.1 million for all qualified nonprofit providers. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the members of the Bay State Council of the Blind in convention assembled on this 20th day of May 2023, that the Bay State Council of the Blind calls upon the members of the Massachusetts Senate to support these funding levels when passing the FY23 state budget, including the passage of Senate Amendment 496, and be it further resolved that all members of the Bay State Council of the Blind are asked to reach out to their state senator to secure their support for this essential funding. End of resolution. Thank you, Kim. You heard uh, Jim Badger mention earlier this amendment. I think at least one other person also mentioned it. And it's an important part of this resolution. Do it, does anybody have a question about the resolution? Again, not to debate it, but a question about the resolution. No one has any okay. answer. No hands up. Ready? I am ready to read resolution 2302. Go ahead. All right. Stand, um, 20, 2302, standardization and streamlining of regional transit authority, RTA, paratransit service policies and procedures. Whereas 15 regional transit authorities, RTAs, currently operate across the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, 
each with widely differing procedures for renewing Americans with Disabilities Act ADA eligibility procedures for accessing paratransit services and whereas some RTAs violate the ADA by only having inaccessible forms for requesting paratransit eligibility and renewal, as well as using inaccessible communication methods to inform currently eligible riders of upcoming eligibility expiration dates. See Section 2.81 of the Federal Transit Administration FTA Circular 47110 on ADA guidance regarding accessible formats. And whereas several RTAs currently violate FTA guidance related to ADA paratransit eligibility procedures, including um, the Brockton Area Transit, which charges a fee for a photo ID, see section 2.24 on prohibition against imposition of special charges in the FTA circular cited above, and the Pioneer Valley Transit Authority routinely requests intrusive and irrelevant medical information from applicants thus violating guidance in the FTA circular section 9.4.3, which states, quote, appropriate determinations of ADA paratransit eligibility are based on an application's functional abilities, not medical diagnoses of health conditions or disabilities, end quote. And whereas persons with disabilities often wish to travel between adjacent RTA zones, but are prevented from doing so because of the need to establish ADA paratransit eligibility for each separate RTA, further complicated by separate and uncoordinated trip payment procedures, and whereas persons with disabilities are effectively barred from travel between different RTA regions by the absence of transfer points between most adjacent RTA catchment areas, and whereas section 9.6.1 of the above-cited FTA circular states, quote, Agencies may also decide to use a simplified recertification process for certain riders, such as those who have been granted unconditional eligibility and whose functional abilities are not likely to change over time, end quote. And this includes the, the vast majority of persons who are legally blind and, whereas the MBTA, MBTA on-demand ride flex program has had great success in improving transportation reliability 
and increasing rider choice, and similar on-demand programs have been operating for decades across the country in mid-size metropolitan areas like Jacksonville, Florida, and Columbus, Ohio, thus providing replicable models for establishing similar programs in municipalities like Worcester and Springfield. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the members of the Bay State Council of the Blind in convention assembled on this 20th day of May, 2023, the following. ADA eligibility renewal procedures for accessing paratransit services be streamlined and made consistent across all RTAs in the Commonwealth. That ADA eligibility renewals be done for all RTAs no less than every five years. That any and all required forms be made available online and be fully accessible. That no overly intrusive and irrelevant medical information be required of applicants. And that no RTA require a photo ID above and beyond photo IDs currently acceptable by state and federal government agencies. And be it further resolved that expedited and consistent ADA eligibility renewal procedures for paratransit services be established across all the RTAs for persons with disability, person who, excuse me, RTAs for persons whose disability situation clearly has no possibility of improving over time, and be it further resolved that the RTAs in collaboration with the Department of Transportation develop a common procedure so that customers whose ADA eligibility has already been established by one RTA be eligible to schedule paratransit trips in other zones and be it further resolved that the RTAs explore the possibilities of creating additional transfer points between adjacent RTAs as well as explore the development of same-day on-demand paratransit services in metro areas like Worcester and Springfield. End of resolution. All right. One of the things people need to know about this resolution is it's the longest one you're ever going to hear. (laughs) It is long. Lots of whereases, which explains the nature of things as they currently stand and lots of resolves where we talk about what the remedy to those problems either are or may be. Again, are there any? Yeah, Cheryl Cummings, please. Hi, Brian. Um, I just wanted to ask, can I ask a question about the first resolution? Yes. Okay. So I... 
I just want to make sure I understand what's being asked. So is there a request for earmark funding that is $850,000, and then there's an amendment that's also asking for $1.1 million? There are two separate asks. The first one dealt with the um, provision of services through third-party entities such as the Carroll Center and MAPV, etc. The second one dealt specifically with increasing fundings on the SR line item that uh, funds MCB staff for similar purposes. So they're two separate things. Okay, uh, but they're but they're in one resolution. Yes, correct. So suppose it's about the MCB budget as a whole okay. and gives two examples of where things have been less funded than they should have been, in our opinion, and then resolves that specifically call out uh, to the Senate because the House has already passed them. It gets a little confusing because the House passed one of the two amendments, but did not fund the second one. And that's what the amendment on the Senate floor uh, is going to propose, that that second one be funded. And it, the second one, incidentally, is the one that deals with funding additional MCB staff. Right. But is it, I mean, was there any consideration I know of having like a, I don't know if you could do this in resolutions like an A, which talks just about the earmarks, and a B that talks just about the funding? Because if, I mean, if, if somebody isn't supportive of both things, then you technically would have to vote no, even if you may support one or, or you know, one or the other. I understand that. And you may choose during the debate to ask to divide the question. That's okay. the technical process for doing that kind of thing. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Go ahead, Nina. Um, so, so Cheryl actually brought up what I was going to ask was the question about if it could be divided into two different um, resolutions or two different parts to that, because it does address two different items. Um, and another um, question that I had um, was the earmark and um, the amendment is asking for additional funding for additional staff, which is all um, SR staff, but it doesn't address the adaptive technology department, which Jane and others have stated that um, we really need people that can help with technology. This and is, those this is beginning to be debate on the motion. Okay, so my my part of this though, Brian, is about the motion. Is is that going to be included in that? Not just rehabilitation counselors or rehabilitation professionals, but other um, professionals that work at the commission that would be able to service our consumers that are going to be using the earmark funds. Like if people go to the Carroll Center for training, they need to have the equipment set up. And we need more people to do that as well. Understood. So, again, because we're treading on the edge of debate, I will tell you this, that amendment, what was it, 
96, 496, goes into great detail of what the funding can be used for. Um, and it does mention technology and <clears throat> technology training. Both of those were in the reading that I had of that amendment. All right. So let's move on now to the third and final resolution. Kim? Okay. Resolution 2303, improving Massachusetts Commission for the Blind Service Delivery to Consumers. Whereas over the past five years, Massachusetts Commission for the Blind, MCB Service Delivery and Blindness Community Trust has been seriously eroded by the following actions. Lack of transparency on the part of MCB about the 2020 decision to close the Worcester and New Bedford offices. Unwillingness of the previous commissioner to communicate financial and performance metrics to the Statutory Advisory Board, SAB, and the Rehabilitation Council, RC. Things impending, impeding, excuse me, their ability to effectively fulfill their officially mandated community oversight role. Reductions in MCB staffing levels for rehabilitation caseworkers to unacceptably low levels, resulting in serious delays and deterioration of service delivery to blind consumers. Excessive expenditure of reallotment funds provided by the Rehabilitation Services Administration, RSA, on projects of little practical value to the blindness community. Failure to establish an efficient and transparent process for appointing RC members resulting in years-long delays in finalizing appointments lack of meeting forums, and appointment of several unqualified members, and issuance by the previous governor in 2022 of an executive order updating RC rules and procedures with no input from the RC and the blindness community. Now, therefore, be it resolved by the members of the Bay State Council of the Blind in convention assembled on this 20th day of May 2023 that in the coming weeks and months, BSCB enter into dialogue with the acting commissioner, the statutory advisory board, and the Rehabilitation Council to assure that Performance metrics are developed that can be regularly reported to the SAB and RC related to consumer registration, provision of services, staffing levels, and expenditures. That MCB prioritize 
the recruitment and hiring of new staff so that delays in providing services are noticeably reduced. That MCB work collaboratively with the RC and consumer groups to identify and develop reallotment project proposals for submission to the Rehabilitation Services Administration, that any new policy proposals that may impact consumers are discussed with the SAB and RC sufficiently in advance of implementation so that their input can be meaningful, can be meaningful. That all information presented at MCB public meetings is in an accessible format which complies with the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, YCAG 2.1 AA. That upon request by the SAB and RC chairs, the commissioner arrange for the agency's chief financial officer to be available to respond to inquiries about agency finances at the next regularly scheduled meeting, that that MCB facilitate communication with the Office of Boards and Commissions so that the governor appoints qualified new RC members in a manner that is timely, cooperative, transparent, and in accordance with the procedures outlined in the Rehabilitation Council bylaws. That MCB work with the RC to assess the impact of the previous governor's executive order 598, which charged one of the RCs, which changed, excuse me, which changed one of the RCs foundational documents with no involvement of the RC or consumer groups and that MCB continue to record board meetings and make them publicly available through the MCB YouTube channel and continue to facilitate appropriate private recordings. End of resolution. One of the things people need to understand is these last two resolutions, because they were so long, they were presented in a bulleted list approach. Uh, Kim didn't read the bullets, but she did pause at each bullet as she went through these lists of concerns and or remedies. Are there any technical questions relative to this resolution? Uh, David, I can make a can I make a quick comment? Please do. Uh, again, one reason both of these are long, and I'm the author of them, so um, I'm responsible for that, is that if they are approved, you know, we view them as sort of a summary of talking points that we want to, you know, with the endorsement of the BSCB, use for dialoguing with the various organizations. You know, MARTA for the uh, for the RTAs and with the MCB. So um, sometimes things are very, resolutions are very short, but we wanted you know, to get an endorsement of our talking points going forward. 
So that's just a little clarification. Thank you, David. At this point, I'm going to return the chair back to the president and thank Kim for the reading of those. You can understand why I chose uh, a person more proficient with reading Braille with reading these resolutions. Thank you, Kim. And thank you to Brian and thank you to, to Kim for, for reading those. Uh, but I'm gonna flip it back to you again, Brian, because next up is voting. And again, a little bit time challenged, but stick around because this is important. So again, this is an odd year, 2023, and we are voting for uh, directors this year. I think Brian, best way to handle this would be, uh, you know, for you to explain the procedures, which for technical reasons have had to change a little bit from what uh, I sent out earlier. I also would like to call and thank Cindy Wentz, who was our nominations committee chair this year for doing a great job of assembling uh, that committee and coming up with the nominations. So when the when the moment is right, uh, Cindy will also speak and she will uh, she will read off the slate of nominations committee, um, um, you know, their um, their endorsements for the slate of um, of nominees uh, for each of the four directorship positions. So, Brian. So, as David said, there are four positions that we're going to fill this year. We do officers on one year and we do board members on the opposite year. This year, there are four seats available. Of those seats, one person is not eligible for re-election and that was Rose Miller. And you heard David thank her for her service earlier in the day. So that means there's what generally speaking is referred to as one open seat. However, there are four people that the committee is going to recommend to you one at a time for electing to the board. Three of the four positions the incumbent Amazon is interested no, in and has expressed that to the committee, uh, they are interested in re-election to their existing positions. So at this point, I want to ask uh, Cindy, please, to give us the nominating committee's report. Thank you, Brian. We had an easy task because we have three incumbents who um, need to stand for election, but who have already been serving on the board and agree to continue if they are so voted. And they are Jennifer Harnish, Diana Leonard, and Pam Locke. The seat that has been occupied by Rose Miller was open and the nominations committee has nominated and he has um, gratefully accepted Jim Badger for that seat. I want to thank my committee members who were um, Chris Devin, Brian Charlson, Jeanette Kutash, Mary Haroyan, um, Carl Richardson, and who am I leaving out? Barbara Black. Uh, Barbara Black, thank you. And it begin with a B. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Again, thank you, Cindy, for your committee's work. We're going to take these one at a time. The way we're going to vote today is with raising hands. So I'm going to ask uh, 
our technical expert here, Rick, to move everybody except the president and myself to uh, off the uh, presenter side and over to the general side. This will allow us to keep... David, there's an easier way to do that, uh, Brian. Well, hold, somebody hold, can count the panelists. Hold, hold for no, 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 no. This is this is for the sake of privacy. This is a privacy issue exclusively. I'm going to ask Rick to move all people except those two individuals, David and myself, over to the general side. Anybody who's on the general side cannot see who has raised or lowered their hands. The only people who need to know that. Uh, in fact, they don't need to know it, but, you know, we're trying to expose as little as possible, is Rick, who will be giving us the numbers he sees, and David, who is the presiding officer at this point. So, with that... Now, Brian, if, Brian, if I could just make an observation, right? If If there are no contested elections, then we don't need to move people, right? So, I, I can move people... Uh, but do you want to make an attempt at at uh, voting anybody in by acclamation first, or do you want me to move everybody? What's the opinion of the president? Uh, I think I think it would be best to first uh, again we put the first person up. Myself as the president, say you know, are there any nominations from the floor? I say that three times. If there aren't any, you know, then we have a movement, a, a motion, and a second. Uh, to uh, elect by acclamation, but then, if so, if there is a nomination from the floor, then that's probably the moment to move people over. Uh, that's there probably we yeah. we'll go that way then. Thank you, Rick. So at this point, the committee is placed into nomination for the first seat, Jennifer Harnish. And again, I will say three times. Um, are there any, well, I'll say it three times, are there any nominations from the floor? Uh, so be if you are wanting to nominate someone from the floor, you know, begin raising your hand. So again, I will say this three times. Are there any nominations from the floor? Hmm. Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? And Rick, do you have any raised hands? Uh, do not, David. Okay. President, uh, I would move that we elect Jennifer Harnish to the Board of Directors by unanimous vote. Do we have a second? I second. Okay. I second it. This is Sharon. Okay. Well, we've got plenty of seconds there. Yeah. Uh, can uh, everybody be unmuted at once, uh, Rick? Uh, not easily, David. But er no. everybody can raise their hands at once. Okay, uh, well, all of those in favor of um, electing Jennifer Harnish by acclamation, please raise your hand. Again, Alt-Y uh, with uh, on your computer. And what are the others, if I may ask, once again, the other ways to raise hands? Again, on your iPhone, you go to the bottom of the screen and go to more, and in more, there's a raise hand choice. Or if you are on a 
uh, Mac, uh, you have to do a command Y. I believe it's command Y. Uh, it's actually option Y. Oh, option, pardon. option Y. Thank you. And on a regular phone, isn't it uh, star, star nine? Correct. Star nine on a standard phone. Don't lower your hands until Rick tells you to. Or Rick will lower everyone's hands at once when it's right. over, presumably. He can yeah, do that. You, you have a, a overwhelming majority here. So I don't know if you want to do a nay vote or not. Um, if we have an overwhelming majority, I think we'll stick with the overwhelming majority. And we will say that Jennifer Harnish has been elected. Maybe we can't say by acclamation, but she has been overwhelmingly elected. So congratulations to you, Jennifer. Uh, after lunch, we will have a few moments so those who are elected um, can can speak. Um, and just let us... Just for the sake of transparency, David, there were 37 votes for Jennifer. Okay. How many people do we have total in the... Um, uh, right now, uh, 49. Okay. Well, that's that's pretty good. So, again, congratulations, uh, Jennifer. We have Deanna Leonard. Now, Deanna was elected to be on the board filling an unfilled position. So, unlike Jennifer, who is going into her second uh, term as a board member, uh, and there are limits on how many terms one can have, as you know, because of rows rotating off. Uh, this will be, as far as the Constitution is concerned, her first term, although she's already serving on the board. So yes. the committee has entered into nomination, Deanna Leonard. I turn it back to the president. Okay, Diana Leonard. I know. I know a certain Diana who always gets called Diana. So, uh, so Diana Leonard with two N's in Diana. Um, so, um, again, three times. Uh, are there from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? Third and final. Are there any nominations from? the floor and are there David, any hands this is, raised this is kim yes kim and i would move that nomination cease and that we cast a, a unanimous ballot for diana leonard okay well we have the motion but but have, has anybody raised their hand no, because no, that's no one has david no no one has okay so we have a motion to elect diana do we have a second we do i'll second it okay and we have a second and so all those in favor, as we did before, please raise your hands. And as we did before, Rick will tally up. Yeah, you've already got a majority. It is 38 at the moment, 38 of 49. Okay, congratulations, uh, Diana. Um, and uh, again, after lunch, uh, we'll have a few moments for each person to, to say a few words, those who've been elected uh, so far. Uh, so um, on to uh, position three. So the third position, the nominating committee has placed into nomination Pamela Locke. Uh, so again, Mr. President, I turn it back to you. Okay, again, three times. Are there any nominations from the floor? 
Are there any nominations from the floor? Third and final time, are there any nominations from the floor? Rick, let us know if any hands have been raised. I move that the nominations be closed and that she be elected by acclamation. And there were, no, would, and there were no hands. Okay, that was Jerry Barrier. Um, moving, do we have a second? Sharon Strakowski, second. We have a second. All of those in favor, again, please raise your hands. Okay, we got uh, 35. Okay, so we do have... A majority. 35 of 48. Okay. So congratulations to you, Pam. And again, uh, after lunch, a few moments for you to uh, to speak. All right. So the fourth and final position, the committee has recommended and places it into nomination, James or Jim Badger. Uh, many of us have learned who he is over recent months. But again, if uh, this is a contested seat, then we'll hear more about individual candidates. Back to you, Mr. President. Do we have any nominations from the floor? Do we have any nominations from the floor? Last call. Do we have any nominations from the floor? Now, if I can just interject here, David, uh, there were hands raised when you started, I lowered them. It, there were okay. two, it, there were two. So, if the two people that had the hand raised in the beginning, I lowered you. You have an opportunity now to raise them. Okay. So why don't I can just go through it again real quick? Okay. Okay. Probably easier. Okay. Yep. They, those people might not know who they are. Yeah. Um, are there any nominations from the floor again for Jim Badger or his his position potential position? Are there any nominations from the floor? Are there any nominations from the floor? There are no hands, David. Okay. Do we have a motion to elect uh, Jim Badger? Brian, I so move. Do we have a second? I, Tim Cummings, I second. Okay. All those in favor, please raise your hands. Uh, we've got 34 of 48. Okay. Congratulations to Jim. Congratulations to all of our four, well, somewhat new, Jim new. Um, the others um, are, um, will be continuing as board members. I have to say, I'm, I think um, the three who we've already had before are tested and have done a great job. And I know Jim will be a great addition. Um, we, sorry to abbreviate lunch a bit. We're supposed to restart at one o'clock. Um, I will take my prerogative, prerogative, whatever the word is, let us restart at 1.05 PM. So five more minutes for those TV dinners uh, that you all want to- Mr. President? Uh, yes. Because the agenda shows us are you repeating uh, things at one o'clock to one fifteen? We can simply get back at one fifteen and be on time. Um, well, people, uh, the we, we'd like the um, our elected folks to 
say a few words, and then I got a feeling for the resolution resolutions we might need a few more minutes than, okay. than what's allocated That's there. Fine. So I think if we start at 105, please, please be back then. And thank you all for um, participating this morning, as well as for um, uh, participating in the elections. So we'll see you all at 105. And the room is going to stay open, as is uh, 